Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For a Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of AKOPTH, adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our, of, for YLITH, Youths Living in the Horde. You can connect with Tammy at homesareforliving at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at The Hoarding Solution. So guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with ho- any kind of hoarding issue, please reach out to Tammy she has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. Um, if you're a veteran um, like I am, you're definitely going to want to take notes, get a notepad out. Um, my brother, Mike, is changing the game, helping veterans struggling with all different kinds of issues. And I'm so grateful that um, he decided to hang out with us. So, Mr. Ha- Mr. Mike, how are you, my friend? Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You're doing an absolutely outstanding job, and it's an honor to be on your on your podcast. So, thank you. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, and first of first of all, I come from an Italian family, so <laughs> I love the last name. It's it's. It's, it's not it's, here very often. Yeah, it's Saformo. Most people say Soprano, and I'm like, no, it's Saformo or DiGiorno, and I'm like, that's the pizza, but <laughs> Saformo's fine. Mostly just say Mike, so not a problem. So now, uh, are you from, where are you born and raised, and where did you grow up? 
So I'm originally from a tiny town in New York called Corfu, New York, which is about a little over half an hour from Buffalo, New York. So that's I know I'm exactly there. where it's at. Yep. Yep. So it's a, it's a beautiful little town and that's where I grew up there. And it was, it was absolutely wonderful. And Buffalo was wonderful. And now so, what, yeah. kind of kid, what kind of kid were you? I was a good kid. I actually was a good kid. I, I'm the youngest of the four. My father was a principal at Pembroke and then he became superintendent for a while and 40 something years as a teacher. And uh, I'm the youngest of four. I went to Notre Dame for the last four years, which is a private Catholic school in a little town called Batavia, New York. And after my father realized you're not the smartest kid on the block, I joined the Navy and here we are. So, uh, Talk to us about, you know, because I, I, lo- I love, you know me, I love my veterans and uh, mm-hmm. nobody knows a veteran like another veteran. You know, we may all crack on each other and break each other's chops, you know, but if we're all in a bar together and somebody picks on one of us, you're going to have to fight all of us. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so yep. talk to us about your recruiting story, because I love everybody's recruiting story. Well... <sighs> You mean how I actually got in the military? Yep. You know, what, what is it like when you went to your recruiter? Did, did you pick the job that you want? How did that go? I will put to you like this. The choice was either stay home in that little town and pay my parents rent and live a miserable life because that's not what I was going to do. Or go join the Navy. So I went down to Batavia. I walked in and said, I want out of here now. They said, okay. The guy was wonderful. And he signed me up. Everything went perfect. And then the first tour I did overseas during the Gulf War, we were pulled into, we docked at Abu Dhabi. And I'm walking down the pier in the middle of nowhere. And there comes my recruiter. And we shook hands. I said, I appreciate everything. And never saw him again. So what job did you eventually eventually take? So I went in originally as a radio man. Then that was switched last minute on me because of my own issue. And then from there, I went into HT as a welder. So I did a lot of welding. I did a lot of high-pressure steam welding on a ship called the USS Horn CG30, 32nd Street, San Diego. Then when she decommed in 92 or 93 after the Gulf War, I went to AS-41, which was the USS McKinney. You there? I think we lost you because your phone, you probably um, let your phone lock. Is you... Go ahead. Yep. So now... How many years did you do in the Navy? I did for the Navy, and then I think I did just about two in the Army National Guard. And, and I'll tell you, it's interesting that you brought up the recruiting because I wanted to continue my career. And the problem was with the National Guard and the Army was that the school that I qualified for was six months at a time. So I told the colonel, I said, you know, you can't just leave for six months at a time. And it really became a headache on on my side as my civilian career was starting to kind of hum along. And then after the two years, I got out and it was very it was very disappointing to me because I really did want to finish out a 20 year career in the Army because I I enjoyed it when I was there. But that that was that was a little bit disappointing to me. So that's that's the only complaint I had. The Navy has been absolutely wonderful to me and I owe my entire livelihood to. Now, now, you know, I was in the National Guard for over 23 years, and it takes a toll on your family. It takes a toll on your job. You know, sometimes, you know, you'll have a back-to-back-to-back drills, and usually if there's ever a wedding, it's going to be on one of those drills. Mm -hmm. You miss everything, so it's kind of – it's like you're full-time military, but you're not really in between. So now what was your uh, civilian career at this point? 
So once I was at the submarine base, I was doing all the rigging and I was doing all the welding. And I had a few contractors come up to me and said, look, if you're willing to get out, we can do this, this, this. And so I went into the crane and rigging business in San Diego, which I actually loved it. And I ended up turning around and serving the military once again through a wholesale distributor for the crane and rigging business and did all the contracts for the Navy. And it was, I loved it. It was absolutely wonderful. So I was down in California, San Diego for about 12, 13 years. Oh, that, that must've been a struggle with that beautiful weather. Oh, you know, it's, you know, the thing with California, I tell this to everybody, the only problem with California versus Buffalo is California is you can always do it tomorrow. Cause it's always going to be 85 Buffalo. You've got four good days out of the year to do something. And that was the, it, that was the, the only thing in, in California is you can always do it tomorrow. So no one ever seemed to be in a hurry and uh, yeah. it was a different lifestyle. I've never been as cold as I've been in Buffalo when I used to, when I used to go to the Miami Dolphin games at, at Buffalo Stadium. I've never been so freaking cold. Yeah, miserable. It is, it is. It is. It can be very challenging for people that they like the warm weather that come up for the first time. So, yep, great place though. So now, how did you get into medical devices, the medical field? How did that work out? So about 11 years ago, I was working out in a gym. It had nothing to do with the military. And I was squatting like 500 pounds. I just felt strong. It was going great. I don't know why. It was ridiculous. And on the third rep on the way up, I heard a huge crack in my neck and my back. And a cold sensation went down my body. And I thought, well, be 30 years old, be paralyzed. So I racked it as best as I could. And I literally walked across the street barefoot to the emergency room. And I was very fortunate that my body, being as young as I was, as strong as I was, was able to take that load. And the shock basically ripped a lot of my tendons and ligaments and muscles. So then what happened was I used my private insurance. I get a bill from them for $126. I take that bill to the Washington DCBA and I ask them to pay it. They kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, how does it work? And they went through this whole process. And I said, so. If you're, if you're all jacked up and you're in the middle of Iowa and you have no resources, you have no money, you have no insurance. I mean, what are you supposed to do? And they said, well, it's, it's just not our problem. This is the way the process works. So I came home and I told my wife, I'm going to change the way medicine is done around the world for $128. So now talk to us because and I'm sure you received a lot, a lot, a lot of backlash. So tell us how you first started helping out. What were some of the first couple steps that you started to do? Well, the first thing is I went to Buffalo. I went to UB, University of Buffalo Neurosurgery. I went up there and we collected the some of the best surgeons that we could find in Buffalo. And then from there, these guys were so great. And we just kind of went across the country and got the talent that we need. It took about three or four years to put that whole process together. And then from there, I begged and kicked and scratched the military and the Pentagon to give me a case and they wouldn't. And then we finally got our first one out of Fort Bragg, out of Forcecom. We picked them up, brought them into Buffalo. We did the whole procedure within maybe three to six hours he was back home the very next day. So that was, that was the process of how we streamlined it. And then from there, it just kind of took off. And we've had thousands of veterans that we have worked on. And we also do a tremendous now amount of work on active duty soldiers around the world too. So now what are some of the, how, how do, um, if somebody wants your services, how does that process go? So in the very beginning, three, four, five, six years, it was just an open door garage policy. It was just, it was word of mouth. And we were getting hundreds and hundreds of requests every month. So we kind of developed a really fast, unique triage. And what do I mean by that is we did all the basic stuff on logistics. We did it on the weather. And what do I mean by that was, can we get them into Buffalo because of winter? Is it easier to take them to Tampa? But the most important thing was, does he or she have a real support staff around them? Because the reality and candid version is we can't put all our time and energy into veterans if they're going to go home and then hit the bottle and take all the pills. 
you have to have a true support system. And the ones that said I can do it by myself, I said, that's not true. Because if you could, you wouldn't be asking me for help. So I have saved more marriages than you could ever imagine. Because I said, look, here's the reality. For some reason, the Lord has put this individual in my life, and this is how it's going to have to work. But you guys have to put your swords down and work together. Once he's fixed, then you can go hate each other. But until then, you're going to have to get on the same page, or you can go somewhere else. And that's the process that we did thousands of times. So now, what are some of the, um, you know, because I was in the health and fitness industry for over 30 years. And even when I served in the military. So it seems like whenever anybody came into my stores or whatever, they always had the same four or five issues. So what are some of the major, you know, issues that you're seeing repeat repetitively over and over again? And I definitely want to get into talking about um, later PTSD, uh, traumatic brain injuries, and now CTE. So, so to, to, to answer your, to answer your question on the veteran side, the number one issue is this, they don't know what they don't know. Most of the guys we talk to don't know really what's wrong with them. And I don't mean PTSD or TBI. They just physically don't know. And because the damage has been so minimal, but sustained over such a gradual long period of time. And I've always said, it's like this, here's the analogy. If you were to put your hand down on the table and I take a plastic mallet and I just keep hitting. Nonstop over five, six year period. And I say, move your hand. You can't. But then if you did an x-ray or an MRI or whatever it is, there's nothing there. There's no damage. That's the problem that we have run into and in our veterans. They have been used and abused. Granted, we sign up for it. But the problem is when they're truly broken, you need a true set of experts on various medical disciplines to make an accurate, upfront, candid diagnosis that from there is then dictated and what would be the best and most optimal way of treating he or she. So it's quite simple. People come to us and they just don't know what's wrong. I say, point to what hurts. And they're like all over. And I said, you got to point to one spot. They said, it's very difficult. Active duty is a separate animal. Active duty, most of the guys that come to us and women have some sort of real active chronic pain that has happened recently or within a year or time frame that they can point back to. Because remember, active duty, their goal is to stay in. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different of an animal. Most of the veterans that come to have been out for five, six, seven years. Some have been waiting for surgery or some sort of real advanced medical from the VA five, six years. We had some 17, 20 years. So it, it, it truly is, it's, it is two separate animals, but on the VA side, most don't know what's wrong and active duty side, they do know what's wrong. And then sometimes even that, unfortunately, doesn't allow them to stay in, with, even with all the technology, because you know how it is. Uh, we're human. And when certain things break, they break, and it's time to move on. So, sure. But now, uh, here in New Jersey, because I'm here, I'm, I'm, I live right here by Giant Stadium. And uh, since the whole COVID thing happened, you know, nobody's able to see doctors unless it's, it's virtual. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we, I personally think that we've lost a lot of veterans and it hasn't even been known yet how many, but, um, so how did that affect you guys with the whole COVID restrictions and all that? How did that affect you guys? Active duty wasn't as difficult as it was. Again, they were in the mix of what was going on with COVID. So it kind of dovetailed more into what we were doing on how we could help some of these guys and women that needed it. But you are correct on the veteran side, it was pretty much down to nothing for multiple reasons. Uh, And it's devastating, but we have an average probably of four to six a month that we would like to help, but unfortunately take their own lives for multiple of reasons. But I think depression, anxiety, uh, is is more prevalent than people know. And I will say this, sometimes it's not the veterans, it's the family around the individuals. They just don't know what to do. And it's horrible to say, but the reality is many veterans say, I think they would be better off without me because I'm a burden. 
And that is a very, very dark, scary, ugly place to go. And many do go there and never come back. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I talk to, I'm, I'm very big in the veteran community, obviously. And I talk to uh, hundreds of people every week. And a, a lot of people are just, well, you know, they just think, well, you know, like you said earlier, you know, we signed up for this, but you know, they don't think, well, 30 years down the road, you know, when your body starts breaking down, it'll also affect you mentally. And then it's just like, oh, well, it's, I'm just getting old maybe. So mm-hmm. a lot of it, you know, like all of us are, are supposed to be hua hua and all hardcore and not want to realize, all right, I need help. You know, this is not normal. You know what I mean? So do you have hard time for to people opening up to you guys in order no. to get help? No, not at all. It's quite the opposite. My, my candid version is not a good cop, bad cop. It's not at all. It's look, here's the reality of where you are. And I always say, look, you got 10 fingers, right? But let's face it. Eight of them are going to be missing. Those are the tools. So you're left with two fingers and we have to figure out those two, those two fingers are your mental capacity. And we are going to have to figure out how to work with what we got and sharpen it to make this work. So we have no problem with that. The issue that we run into is the opioids and the opioids, no person can overcome, in my opinion, by themselves because they're too powerful. They, they grab a hold of your soul, your spirit, your mind, your finances, your family, your kids, and they slowly eat away. They grind at you over and over and over. It's very difficult to take a veteran that has been on Robaxin, ketamine, morphine, and all these other opioids and detox he or she over a six or seven month period that one it's extremely costly Two, the most important factor is does he or she even want to do it and those that second issue is answers i don't have i don't have this i don't i don't have the ability to reach in and make people do these things all I can do is ask, do you think you're worth it? And if you do, let's go. But if you don't, I cannot help you. Nobody on this planet will be able to help you if you do not want to do it yourself. And there are so many programs out there, but the veteran, he or she has to take the initiative. Now, here's kind of the ugly side of that. How in the hell are you supposed to take the initiative if during your military process and then you get out as a veteran and you're all jacked up? You can't. I always say it's like Alzheimer's. You know, I mean, I want the Alzheimer's person to get better, but he or she doesn't really understand mentally what is going on. So how are they going to book the appointments and have the mental faculties to go through this process? So you have to have a true advocate in your side. And then this alone is another two crushing entities. You have the veteran who refuses to ask for help because they don't want to think that they're weak or they don't need it. And if they don't get the help they need or ask for it, then they're left by themselves. So I think the our own military policing, so to speak, needs to be increased. But without that individual capacity to understand, I truly need help. I cannot go on my own and I'm willing to do what I have to do. Those are the individuals you can help. The other ones, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't know what you do with them. I don't. Because I know the psychological process of what it takes. I've seen this process. And it takes six, seven, eight, nine months of continual professional treatment. And even some of those drop out of that process because they're like, it's just not for me and I don't think it's worth it. So you can you can do as much as you can. You can take somebody to the very edge and say, here is the bridge to go. But if they halfway go and they turn around, what are you supposed to do? And I don't have those answers. And, you know, like I, what you're talking about is, is really hitting home to me. Um, I've been in recovery since uh, 1989. Um, I've been sober, clean and sober since January 1st, 1989. Um, and it's a process. And it's every day. Sometimes it's an hour by hour, minute by minute process. And a lot of times, you know, not just saying the VA, but, you know, you get a kid like my son just had his wisdom teeth taken out. First thing they do is they give him a Tylenol with codeine. Mm-hmm. You know? And all of a sudden, if, if a person has an addictive personality, 
like I did as a kid. Now they're off to the races. And if they can't get the painkillers or the opioids, they're going to go to Frank, the drug dealer, mm-hmm. you know, and then sure. their whole life is shot. And, and you are 100% correct. I had all four of my wisdom teeth taken out when I was in California and they gave me, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but I went through the whole bottle like in two days and then they went back and said, I need more. And the doctor said, what do you mean? I gave you like two weeks worth. I'm like, huh? I said, what are you talking about? I need some more. That really dulled the pain. So I was fortunate enough to be stupid enough to say, oh, the hell with this. I don't need this. I'll just go drink as much as I can. And that was my downfall. I, yeah. I, I drank a lot. In, and of course, when you're in the Navy, <laughs> well, that's a whole different sport. You drank like a fish, right? <laughs> it was, it was, you know what? I, it was out of, it was so out of control. I didn't even know what was going on, but that was the process. That's what we did. And again, it's not the Navy. It was me. It was my own personal choice to do that stuff, but it was completely out of control. And, and, and congratulations on being sober and doing that because it's no different than anything else. You have to be persistent and persistence usually eliminates 99.9% of everybody in your life. It's just too difficult. Nobody wants to hear it over and over and over. And in my company, Operation Backbone, my motto is you beat a dead horse and you hit it and beat it and beat it and you hit it and hit it. And all of a sudden you're like, damn, the thing's still alive. And that's what alcoholism is. That's what drugs is. That's what any type of abuse or addiction is. You never can stop beating this dead horse because deep down somewhere, it may still have a heartbeat and you never want it to come back. And it's a very difficult thing to try and relay that to veterans who truly believe that they're the Navy SEAL or whatever they are, and they don't need the help and they got it conquered. And those are the ones, in my opinion, that have always failed back. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, I've been, and it's like, I went to have, I had to have eye surgery. And I told him, listen, I'm in recovery. I can't have anything. I don't want, you know, maybe give me aspirin if I need it. And they're like, all right, well, so we're going to give you some fentanyl. I'm like, no, hold on. I just, might as well give you a bottle of scotch. I go right back to it. What the hell? You know, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, hold, slow your roll, buddy. I just told you I'm in recovery. And you want to give me some fentanyl? Are you insane? But sometimes you don't think about stuff like that. Unless you're in recovery, unless and if you don't want to go back to day one. Now, a lot of these veterans that are, you know, jacked up, you know, they've been on, like you said, pain pills for, you know, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And they don't know how to now they're addicted and they're still in pain. Mm -hmm. So so it's kind of like it's a mental and a physical thing. So talk to us about some of the, you know, because I always like talking about the positive stuff on my show. Um, talk to us about some of the, you don't have to name names at all, but um, give us some of your great case studies where things have actually turned a person's life around. By what so you I think the last 50 or 60 cases that we did, the, my protocol was simple. Do not shoot yourself in the head. Not yet. Do not do it. At least give me a chance to save your life and fix you. And we did every one of them that way. And we saved every one of their lives. And here's the thing. The original damage to a lot of these men and women is not that severe. But it's the slow mental grind that gets to them. So I said, suicide is not the answer. It's just not. It's not in your DNA for you to do this. Plus, you have a family and you have kids. The priority has to be them, not you. So we have to shift the mindset drastically. And I am extremely proud of the men and women that we have helped and supported and, and we've saved their lives. And I have learned so much from them too. But the, all these cases, every one of them has been a gift given to me and vice versa, because we have to work together as a team and it shows and it proves with the right type of attitude and the right type of talent and technology, these things can happen. And we do it multiple times all the time. So I am very, very proud of the men and women that we have that we have been working with because they've all come to me and said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I got one step left. And I said, you're fine. We'll, we'll get you through this. So all the cases that we have been, all of them have been nothing but success based on them, not me. Okay. Now, one thing that I'm, I'm really impressed with is, is you started working with the NHL um, and as far as I'm concerned, NHL players 
are the toughest athletes. I mean, they'll get cut and they're like, all right, just ditch me out. Mm-hmm. I got to be out there for the next ice. You know, they're like, they're hardcore teeth. Who needs them? We don't need teeth. You know, so they're, I think they're the closest thing I think to a veteran that you can actually get. So what is it like working with those individuals? So the, the thing with them is, I, I I'll tell you it, in there, any, I'm sorry, any, certain teams that you work with. So it was the Buffalo bill or sorry, it was the Buffalo Sabres, Boston Bruins. And then we did a big thing with the Dallas stars. The thing that I relay to the NHL is life and the trade is the same thing as the military. And I say, the reason that I'm so attracted to hockey is because when they switch, there's no whistle. It's on the fly. And I say, this is like life. It's like the military. You know, you got to be ready to go. You can't wait for someone to stop and then get on the ice and you'll lose the momentum. And I said, that's who we are as soldiers and veterans. I said, but you can't let it go by because you'll never catch it. So you always have to keep your eye not on the, just not on the ball, but not where it is, but where it's going. And I said, that's the most important thing. And then the second thing is the trade. I mean, one minute you're the greatest thing since sliced bread on a professional team. And next thing you know, they trade you for three other people that they think are better. And that's the same thing in the military. No matter how great you are, no matter how many purple heart, whatever it is, the fact that you are unable now to perform, they trade you, they get rid of you. They kick you out or they move you to a different thing. And it hurts and it's painful. So those are the two things in the NHL world that really merge and resonate the most, in my opinion, with the soldiers that we have. And I also use the analogy of life on the fly. I said, look, it's going to go by really, really fast. You guys got to be set and ready to go. You got to get the drugs squared away, the finances squared away, personally, professionally, spiritually, marriage, all of it has to be set. Because when we come flying by to pick you up, you have to meet us. You got to meet us halfway as we're going together. And if you don't, we're going to fly by you. And I believe this is where the majority of the veterans lose sight of this. They, they, they think everything is now going to come to them. And I said, that's not how the world works anymore. Not that many people are interested in your TBI, your PTSD, or your depression. They don't see it. They don't understand it. And there's no way in hell they ever will. And you can't really say anything to another veteran because they understand it. So I said, you are now going to have to change around the, how the world works. And that's the truth, the brutal, candid reality I tell a lot of these men and women. So when the puck is coming your way, you better be set and ready to go. So that's the a big attraction with the military and the NHL. Now, one thing I found that, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a professional whatsoever. I mean, I'm only a ninth grade dropout, but I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of professionals. And I'm realizing that when an adult acts out, it's usually because of trauma that happened between the ages of three and 13. Then you add military to the mix. Then you add sometimes alcohol uh, or drugs, mm-hmm. not all the time, but sometimes. Right. And you have the perfect storm. And there is no booklet you can buy on Amazon to tell you how to get out of the perfect storm. Right. Unless there's somebody else that has pulled, has been, in, in the perfect storm themselves and got pulled out. So, and a lot of times, you know, I talked to a lot of first responders, police officers, there's that thin blue line. And in the military, we seem to have that thin green line where like me and you, if we just met up for lunch within a half hour, we're telling each other our deepest, deepest secrets. We have that, that bond because we raised our right hand. So, do you find it easier that people are more willing to talk to you because you raised your hand and did your time? I will tell you the way it truly works most of the time on 90%. It's not the veteran. It's the wife. It's the wife that says you need to talk to him. And I said, I will. Because when it comes from somebody else, especially us being men, because we know everything, when it comes from somebody else, most listen. But it's usually the wife that has to drive this home. And they also have reached a point that says, look, you either have to do this or I'm gone. And divorce is real and painful. And sometimes 
being pushed to the edge of the cliff is the most important thing that can happen. But I've noticed that most of these men that are the most successful on this side of the tracks when they're hurt to go and get fixed is they have a very, very strong, determined wife come hell or high water. They're going to do something in order to get this done. And that seems to be a really, really important common denominator and thread in all the cases. The ones, unfortunately, that don't have that support system, in my opinion, that we've talked to seem to move on and they just go their own way. Okay, so now, how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? I mean, I know you're big on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I'm big on LinkedIn. So, how do we find Operation Backbone? You can just go to OperationBackbone.com. Uh, there's a few websites out there for what we do and how we do it, and there's a simple contact form on there, and and you can contact us anytime. And if there's something that we can do and facilitate, then we'll reach out to you, and and if we can, we'll we'll start the process. Okay, so now, well, you know, those are like the number that's, I usually ask two questions, but there's certain people that I know, I have a feeling, I don't know, but I'll see if I'm right or not, that I ask a third question to. So second question is, you know, we live in a crazy world, you know, we're still COVID in New Jersey. So um, all the kids just got out of school, and a lot of parents lost their jobs. So they're driving Uber, DoorDash. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if there's somebody out there that's listening to this, whether you're the veteran, whether you're the wife, whether you're the son, the daughter, if they somebody out there is struggling, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? I think the first thing is to take a sit down take a breath and you got to look in the mirror and you have to be, you have to force reality on yourself. You have to look in the mirror and say, I'm not, I'm not Superman. I'm not, I am not. I, I, I am a sinner and I have faults and I've done some good things and I've done some bad things. And I have to look in the mirror and I got to say, I got to, I always say, you got to do your own. You, you got to soldier up and say, okay, I've gone as far as I can. I have to have professional help. And you have to get on the phone and you've got to call some of these folks, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's the VA hotline, but there are thousands of people out there that can direct you to others that can start the process. That is the most important thing I tell everybody. Nobody is going to come knock on your door to see how you're doing. You have to take the initiative, just like you went down and you put your hand in the air and you swore to uphold the constitution. It's the same thing, but now you have to do the same thing. You got to put your hand in there and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get better. That's what I'm willing to do. And without that, you're never going to go anywhere. It's just, that's the real ugly truth. You said you yourself was a recovering addict with alcohol. Yep. At, at what point do you say, you know what? I just can't drink anymore. Done. And I can't, I just can't. And you need someone to say, yep. We told you this two years ago, that's irrelevant, but here we are now, and we're going to go down this path. But without you doing the initiation, it doesn't make a difference how much money they put into the program. If you're going to go behind the, you know, and leave and smoke and go have a six pack at night, what's, what's the point? So in the next 24 hours, people that are having a really difficult time, you need to get on the phone, either call the VA and I don't, and, and calling friends, I think is good. I think it's a good start. But I think you really need to sit down and address the problem, whether it's mental PTSD, it doesn't make a difference, but you got to contact someone that has the ability to turn around, like you said, within the first 24 hours and say, okay, the biggest step is done. Now let's figure out how to move forward on actionable steps. Okay. Now the last question, and I don't ask this for everybody, but I have a feeling that, um, that I'm right. But, you know, whenever I interview somebody because I'm 80 percent blind, um, my hearing has gotten much better and I'm able to uh, hang on that person's, you know, every word that they speak. And it seems to me like you're a man of faith like I am. I, You know, I, everybody knows and listens to the show. Uh, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I have no problem saying it. Um, am I correct in saying that you're a man of faith? You know, not only am I a man, 
not only am I a man of faith, boy, do I have a laundry list of things when I finally do move on. I'm gonna one of them is with this freaking traffic on the beltway. I don't get this. So I got a laundry list of things I gotta ask the good Lord. <laughs> and that's the first one. What's up with the traffic in DC all the time? But you gotta have faith, you gotta smile. You got to step back. You got to look at the true reality of what's going on in this world. And you got to look at yourself. You're a human being, for God's sakes. You're not supposed to, you know, people truly believe there really are the be all end all. And you know what I say? If I die tomorrow, before I'm even cold in the ground, someone will call and say, oh, it's horrible. This is, is his position open. And that's the way it should be. And when you look in the mirror and you realize you're blood and flesh and you make good decisions and bad decisions, it takes a lot of burden off you. And I always look to the Lord all the time. Why have you selected me to do this? I've given up asking and now I am a tool and I go exercise every God-given talent I have to go do whatever I can to push the machine, the mission moving forward. And I stopped trying to pretend and act like I know what I'm doing on everything because I don't. And I fail miserably personally and professionally all the time. I try and set myself up for high standards. And let me tell you something. It hurts when you surround yourself with people that are smarter, faster, richer, better in every field. You surround yourself by people that are thousands and million times better in every discipline in your life. And they will pound on you mercilessly. They will just beat you senseless. Those are the people that you want in your life. The no excuses, no bullshit, go get it done. I get it. I have failed miserable too. But tomorrow's a new day and keep going. And all of those individuals, all of them are all faith-based. And if they weren't in the beginning, they are later on in life. All of them. So the last question I have is... Um, you know, they say that if you do not feel close to God, you're the one that moved. He's the same today, yesterday and tomorrow and forever. So if there's somebody out there that's listening to this, that's struggling with their faith, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some emotional and spiritual healing? I, I, it's the it's the same answer. And people don't want to hear. It. And the answer is you are not the be all end all. You're not. I say this to everybody. If you don't wake up tomorrow, do you honestly really think the world's going to stop freaking spinning because you're not here? The answer is no, which takes the burden off you. Relax. But there's something bigger and stronger guiding you and helping you. There's a reason why you are here. And maybe some of your friends that went overseas never came back. That was the chips. Those were the cards that were given to them. You have a set of different cards to play. Don't waste your time you need to play every card that the lord has given you because one day you're going to flip it over and it's going to be that's it you're out of cards like all of us do we all flip our last card over and before we do don't go down woulda shoulda coulda if you if you're alive then you got everything in front of you everything but you've got to learn to get out of your own way it's a very difficult thing to do I have a very difficult time doing it. But if you look in the mirror and say, okay, there's a higher power out there and I'm going to have to take a chance because my way as a human, it ain't working. <laughs> it ain't working at all. So what the hell do you got to lose? And most people see that and go, you're right. And they start to come around and they go, what is should have could have? I said, don't worry about it, brother. That's the story of everyone's life. But the point is you still have time in front of you so go after it. But there's something bigger and stronger than you. And that's what this is about. This is, this is what this is about. I'm a tool that the Lord picked. I don't know why, but I've given up asking. I said, whatever it takes, however it takes, I'll turn it over to you and I'll go give it hell. And if I make it to where I want to go, great. And if I fail along the way, that's the process. That's called being a human being. I love it, brother. Now, this is going to go out next season. And I'm so grateful that you decided to hang out. And uh, now that I know that we're, you know, brothers in Christ, now you're stuck with me for eternity. Sorry about that. But, uh, why are you, so what, why are you blind? What happened? Oh, uh, well, I got ran over by a Humvee. And, and 
Who, who the hell gets run over by a Humvee? How did that happen? Tell me. I was backing up uh, a young private, and instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas and ran over the whole right side of my body and my head. Oh, Lord. So you're even, how are you even alive? All by God's grace. That's right. And by then, I was jacked anyway, so I was all steroided up. So it was like yeah. I just shook it off. I was like, all right, whatever. And then I started losing my – I guess I had an, an ocular stroke. Mm. So, but well, you know. well, God bless you. Hey, and one last thing, since you brought it up, alcoholism. What yeah. was your breaking point? When did you just say you're done? Well, I had, uh, um, I, I got thrown out of the military the first time for being an addict and an alcoholic. Uh, mm -hmm. Got back in, um, but I, I was bartending, and I got a friend of mine owned a bar, and he was a police officer, and he asked me to bartend New Year's Eve. And everything was going great. Everything was smooth. I started drinking. Money started flowing. And like eight hours later, I hear a knock at my door. It's him and five of his buddies coming to arrest me because I, I robbed the place. And um, I gave away like $2,000 worth of free drinks. Had like five grand cash on me. And I, I wish I remember the guy's name. But he said, you know what? He said, you're 20 years old. And he's like, you're white. And. If you're looking at five years for grand larceny, excuse my language, guys, but he said, you're going to be go to jail and you're going to be somebody's bitch. He said, so I'm going to give you a break. He said, I'm going to give you 24 hours to come up with my money, which I did. I borrowed from family and paid it back, of course. And he said, you got to go to 90 meetings in, in AA uh, and you got to get signed every, by every time you go in. So I hit something like 300 meetings in a row and I haven't had a drink since that day. So it was an angel that saved me that day. It was from the, the grace of God that said, let's see if he really wants to be a man. And we're going to drag him down the street. and We're going to give him one chance to stand up for redemption and walk back. And you did. And I don't yep. know how you, you a man cannot do that because we're flesh and blood. Yep. But, a, oh. but, a Christ, but a Christ person has the ability to get up and go, oh, man, this is going to be one ugly, long embarrassing shameful walk back but once you get over the hill you're like done congratulations yeah, you know, like a lot of people don't realize you know like um if you're not an alcoholic you know you don't realize that scope has like 25 percent alcohol um you know even if you're eating vanilla cookies vanilla extract is like 30 percent alcohol you know then i still have to be vigilant even if i'm making a salad with the salad dressing that i use so you have to be, you know, for me, I have to be very vigilant on everything I put in my mouth because I don't want to go back to day one. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, it's no different than business, brother. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. The decisions you make now will affect and alter everybody. And it's the lessons I learned from extremely, extremely wealthy individuals. They're like, Mike, if I make wrong decisions on this kind, I am now responsible for thousands of people that won't have their job or we won't have a bonus. So you're no different than anybody else in that position that you have to be vigilant, which is persistence. And you're constantly beating a dead horse to make sure that thing doesn't come back alive. So God bless you, brother. Okay. One question I, I got to ask, and I was, cause, cause I know you deal with a lot of uh, medical devices, correct? Mm -hmm. What company do you use? Well, we use now, multiple, now we, we use, now, we use, my wife yeah. works for a medical device company for the last 30 years. So got to pick the right answer. Uh, if, if uh, we were, I'll put it to you like this. We work with multiple, multiple companies with various contracts. And if I say one, they'll come burn my house down because I didn't say the other. Yeah. So let's just say I use a lot of, I use a lot of smaller companies and I use some of the big ones. Yeah. My wife's been with <clears throat> Stryker for the last uh, almost 30 years. Yeah, strikers. Yeah. Yep. yep, striker. Yep, good. That's a good. Uh, yep. I think they're in they're Jersey. I think right. Yeah, they're up in Mawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strikers. Uh, yep. strikers a good one. How long you been married? Uh, we well, she known me since I for the last forty years, but mm -hmm. we've been together uh, eleven years now. So she's yeah. put up with me for that long. Hmm. Well, listen, I if we had more people like you laid open their entire past i think more people like you would be around to help others
but this is the problem that you asked me before. Yeah. You just got to go lay down and admit, man, here is the list of things I have done. And it's hurtful. It hurts. But if you're going to clean the wound out, you got to rip it open. And most people don't. They wrap it up with anything they can. They stuff it over there. They pack it over here. And then one day it just slowly, slowly eats away at them. And there's nothing left. And then the Lord goes, I gave you every opportunity I can, but you thought it was about you and it wasn't. It's something about bigger and better than you. And you, and you pissed it away. Yep. So hopefully me and you can work together in the future, maybe trying to get some people some more help. That's what this whole podcast is about. It's all about getting people the help that they need. Well, listen, I think what you're doing is absolutely awesome. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you for filling me in on your background and, and, and congratulations with your family and your wife. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here to support folks any way we can. And it's such a tremendous opportunity for me to talk to you and be part of this. And I wish we had more folks in the military like you and the veteran community that would do some more outreach like this because it's extremely important. All right, Mike, we'll have a beautiful week and weekend and God bless you and the family. Thanks, brother. You need anything? Let me know. And congratulations. And thank you very much. All right, brother. Be good. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new T-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out, leave us a note, tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built, so if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.